Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast. My name's Zach, and I'm joined by only Andres this week. Um, some, like he's staying uh, true to his word. I believe he said something along the lines of, if we don't win, I'm not going to record next week. Right, Andres? Oh, it was something along those lines, but he definitely said he didn't want to record or didn't like recording, so of course he misses the week after. <laughs> we have one of the weirdest Chelsea round of matches in a while. Yeah, I would say so. It, it's I think a good word to kind of describe the week has been turbulent. Yeah. Very, very turbulent. We've seen highs it's and lows. Using SAT words. Yeah, I know, right? I've been uh, I've been reading thesaurus. Uh, every night before I go to bed. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've been playing uh, Ultimate Team. A lot of Ultimate Team. But um, I don't know, Andres. I, 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 you know, me and you kind of talked before we started um, recording. And we wanted to do something a little different this week. So um, for our listeners uh, that are used to our normal uh, match review, match preview format, um, we've actually decided to split this one up since... Both matches seem to be uh, polar opposites in terms of what was missing from our performances. So we've actually split this pod into defense and offense. And um, lucky for us, we hardly had any work to do on our script because the Twitter questions were so amazing this week. So shout out to all the Rep Ultras and all the listeners that uh, that pitched in this week. So um, Andres, let's just let's just get right into it. Let's um, do it. So, in case you've been li- living under a rock, uh, Chelsea did play two games this week. One on Saturday, uh, where we drew 3-3 with Southampton um, after going 2-0 up. Um, and then the other match happening a little bit earlier today on Tuesday, um, a nil-nil scoreless draw at the bridge against Sevilla in Champions League. Um, so, I think the best way to kind of start out you know, this pod would be to talk about our defense and what better way to kick it off Andres than one of the best Twitter. I don't know. What do you call this? Um, I small essay, short answer response. I, I don't know. I think, I think this is along the lines of, uh, a tweet slash diary a, slash a preamble question. to our to our def- defense conversation i don't know it's it's great that, that's a great word preamble this is a preamble to our conversation about defense so huge shout out to Kirill's medvedev who normally um doesn't get his questions in because of the time change but this week he was really quick to uh tweet out at us so this is a doozy buckle up all right uh Kirill's medvedev says I think the whole, quote, Lampard can't coach defense thing is blown out of proportion. We have conceded less goals than Liverpool and Man United, one more goal than Tottenham and Leicester, and two more than Man City. All of this with clear personnel problems at the back, with Kepa being an obvious one and Silva missing. He's, a, he's speaking about the Southampton game. I mean, look at Liverpool without Van Dyke. System or no system, last season's best defense is in shambles without the record signing, yet the media keeps telling us that Lampard is somehow at fault when our keeper forgets that he can fucking use his hands. What do you guys think? I personally think that systems don't score and or concede. Players do. Not even prime Tony Pulis could set us up for consistent clean sheets and efficient set pieces if our defenders aren't good enough. 
looking forward to having Silva and Mendy back into the starting 11 and then hopefully some defensive reinforcements before next season, by which time our attack should be clicking in orgasmic ways. This season is always going to be transitional, and I'm calm and confident of our future. Keep the blue flag flying high. Andres, reactions. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, I want to... Ooh, okay, well, let me just take one thing at a time. Well, okay, yeah. H- how about we chop? <laughs> how about we take his first question where he talks about um, the whole Lampard can't coach defense thing? Yeah, yeah. We we can start there. So Lampard has had he had a full season already in the Premier League where statistically speaking, we gave up more goals than I believe. Uh, under Sari and Conte significantly. Like the number skyrocketed. I know that on paper we conceded the second least amount of shots, but we also conceded the highest percentages of goals scored against from those shots, which tells me two things. One, we are giving up very good quality shots. Or two, Keppa is just that bad. And I think it's a mix of the two. So we'll start there for those stats. Yeah. My thing is, why are we giving up those big chances? Why are we putting our goalkeeper in that situation? Again, the keeper should have done better in a lot of them. But at the same time, they're still high quality shots. And I think that's the part that after a year and a half, While individual mistakes are a thing and have been the go-to comment this season, why haven't we been able to at least not give up those high-quality chances? And I'll pass it on to you before I kind of dive in more into that. So so to kind of piggyback on on what you're saying, Andres, I I completely agree with you. But I am 100% on um, Kirill's Medvedev's side here. Um, for the reason that if you have a team that doesn't have the necessary personnel to get a result or to get a clean sheet in our situation against Southampton, why don't we adapt? Why is there no adapting? We're basically playing the same system over and over and over, and we're just mixing and matching players. And mm-hmm. for me, that's not doing it. You know, That's the definition of insanity. If yeah, things aren't working, you try them again and again. Insanity. Over and over and over. Yeah, exactly. So you have to be able to identify the weaknesses in your team and figure out ways to deal with them. For example, in this game, um, both, I mean, both center backs were, were, were pretty awful, Zuma and Christensen. But I'm going to take Christensen and pick on him for a second because this is someone that, you know, we had really high hopes for. Um Back in Conte's time. Yeah, back in Conte's time. And now we've gotten to the point where he's in Ross Barkley territory, where he is basically plateaued as a footballer. And he's just flat out not good enough for Chelsea. He's not strong enough. He's not uh, aerially dominant enough. I don't think his performances are consistent enough. It might sound harsh, but that's just my opinion. Now, you take a player like Christensen and you throw him into the lineup playing next to Zuma, um, and you get that you know defensive shambolic masterclass, whatever you want to call it, 
why is there no adapting? Christensen is perfect for a back three. It hides all of his mistakes. Zuma, same thing. If you don't have a ball playing center back playing next to Zuma, he's best served in a back three where he's playing shorter passes and his angles are a lot easier and more simple for him. I'm not saying go to a back three every single night, but days when we have uh, our best goalkeeper, our two best defenders out probably, if you're going to take Tiago, you know, our best central defender and our best goalkeeper both out of the match, find ways to protect them. Find ways to protect the backups. If you want to pick Keppa, that's Lampard's opinion. Whether I agree with him or not is irrelevant. But if you're going to pick him, you have to find ways to protect those guys. And I just don't think that the manager did enough for our situation um, against Southampton. It, it, it just wasn't enough for me. There was no sort of tactical change that was noticeable from the West Brom match, for example, compared to this one. It's the same issues, it's the same players making the same mistakes, and it just seems to be this sort of revolving door of bullshit that keeps yeah. happening defensively night in and night out. I kind of I kind of ranted there, but 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 it, what's what's kind of your take on that? I know you're not a big fan of the back three, but I mean at this point, if we proved anything, I think you know barring today's performance against Sevilla, which we'll get into. We can score goals. I think the goals are going to come. I just think it's defensively we have to sort it out until we can yeah. buy someone to fix it. I mean, okay, so I'll start with that. Actually, shout out to at Long John Stewart because he did ask, like, you know, like kind of the things you alluded to. If Kepa's confidence is shot to pieces and anonymous Christensen's on the side, why do we keep doing the same thing and expecting different results? Yeah. So shout out to, to Long touch- John Stewart. Yeah, so so to go on to that, first off, you know Kepa is is fragile. You know it. So if that's the case and you do not have a defensive general who can keep the line behaving, per se, don't have a high line. Don't go to a full press. Play a low block and, and you have at his best, the best world like defensive midfielder that's good at absorbing pressure in N'Golo Conte, because that's what he did at Leicester, and that's what he did under Conte in a low block, to help that line when we're absorbing the pressure. We, we don't even, like, yes, you can switch to a back three, but if you don't want to change the system because you're trying to implement something, stick to your back four and just don't run a high line or a full-on press. Start there. Number two, Christensen has not looked well, like good this season. He hasn't. We I, we haven't said a good thing about Christensen in a bit of time. I think that's that's worth noting. And the Christensen Zuma partnership has worked maybe against false nines, and that's as, as far as it goes. Because Zuma, you said Tiago's our best player, but on form, I think Zuma has been our best defender this season so far. Yeah, yeah, he has. Bar- he has. Even even with the mistake, yeah. Even with his mistake and split the split the blame here because again, Kepa is Kepa. But start there. Play a back line. We talk about adapting. You know Tiago's not there. Change something about it. If if you know that Southampton's only gonna try to counter on you, the moment you lose the ball, get behind the ball. Because if we and, and something specific that Frank is doing is, is this, this 
4-4-2 press. So we're running a 4-2-3-1 formation under Lampard. And here's where I'm going to get a little nerdy, Zach, and, and interject if you have anything specific or if I'm not explaining myself well enough. Yeah. A 4-2-3-1 formation has two defensive midfielders. Two. That builds a back six in front of your in front of your goalkeeper. Usually that means that the front four, once they get beaten, then comes another set of two and then comes the back four. But in how we're pressing, and shout out to Naomi Footy. I'll make sure to link his tweets with pictures to our post once we post this podcast. We press in a 4-4-2 where it's a high front six pressing with Werner and Havertz as a two. Then your two wingers, which I'll get to why I'm annoyed with this, but it's usually Mountain Pulisic right now on the outsides within Conte and Jorginho both going up when it's a double pivot. Usually when you hear double pivot, that means one person should push, one person should cover. We're not doing that. And so these teams, all all they have to do is chip one ball over this flat four line, and they are now past six players and facing four. That's what Southampton did. They found a space behind Conte and Jorginho, attacked it, and then – Lord forgive that they did this while we were transitioning in the attack, because then that would mean that Chilwell and one of Aspie or Reese James would be high up the flanks because we do like to do that in the attack. And they have a three versus two. Yeah. Simple numbers game. We're going to get scored on. So three versus two, one open man at all times. Yeah. In this situation, specific to Southampton. And, 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 you know, the thing is, I mean, as Chelsea fans, we know better than anyone else how defensive the 4-2-3-1 could be. I mean, that's – that's uh, Ask Jose I, Mourinho. Jose – yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and and I sort of – I mean, I grew up on that whole idea of it being a defensive system. I mean, when I played, we played a 4-2-3-1, and it, we played as a defensive team. We gave up possession. That's just that – yeah. was, that was just our thing. I don't see a problem in doing that, and – when you look at the type of players we have, I'm not saying we give Southampton the ball, but what I am saying is we have the players to adapt. We have the players to play multiple ways, multiple formations. We could play the, we could play long, we could play short, we can we can we can even do everything in between. We have players to do everything, but somehow it just can't all come together offensive offense and defense and kind of come together and be this, you know, conducive 90 minute performance. We haven't seen 90 solid minutes of Chelsea football all season. And I've been saying it every episode. It's only been one half of really good football. And then one half where we do our best to hold on. And let's just hope that we scored enough goals in the first half, or let's hope that we'll score more, you know, more goals in the second half. It's just, it's, it's gotten to the point now where, you know, look, Twitter is crazy, and they're gonna pull out. You know, the Lampard Out Brigade is is up and running, and it it's it's bullshit. It's so stupid. We are, you know, one defensive signing away from being extremely solid at the back, like Kareel's Medvedev said with Liverpool and Man City. But I think now is the time more than ever where Frank kind of has to take a look in the mirror and say, what do we need to do to solidify this defense first? And then we could sort of build from there. And I think the Sevilla match was a good start, personally. Yeah. 
I, th- I really think it was because if we're get, we'll talk about it a little later. I think if Timo is on his A game, he probably gets a goal or two, and we and we wind up taking three points. And, and it's but, a different game, right? Exactly. But but, but I, here's I, here's here's a thing that I want to point out though. Mm-hmm. I still think that we should be able to beat teams that are mid table or low table if one member of the back line is missing or hell. Even if Mendy is hurt, obviously I doubt Kepa gets to play ever again. But yeah. I I think that we should still be capable of doing that. And this is the part where I think Lampard needs to take a, a bit of the blame. To, to Kirill's Medved's point, it's not that he can't coach defense because it's a very obvious 4-4-2 press. It, it, it's, in the, it's in the tape. Go watch it. The players are doing what Lampard is telling him. And yeah. so he's obviously coaching them to do next that. To Werner. Right. So so we're doing what he's asking. I just don't know if that's the right I think it's naive. That's the point I'm getting at. I think and, it's very naive to play a, a sort of four four two hybrid defensively when you have one midfielder that could cover ground and one that can't. Yes. We yes, get split exactly. so Start easily. There. And again, a double pivot is supposed to stagger went off the ball and the four two three one is already built to stagger these lines so maybe you press with four and then maybe you ask a fullback to tuck in and then you have two lines of three behind your four that are high pressing and at the end of this podcast we talked about what we think the tactics should be and i'll hold off to, till then but i think that's the point we're trying to get at is that regardless if we're one defensive signing or not we could be doing better Mm-hmm. And and it's just a matter of of when or, or who is going to notice these things within the Chelsea camp to make those changes. Yeah. Be, because like you said, today against Sevilla, our wingers did well to to help the fullbacks on the outside and prevent corners. Uh, we really didn't know. give them too much of a sniff. I mean, Mendy had right. to make a couple decent saves, but it, he didn't have to do anything outrageous to keep the clean sheet. Right, and I think that's solid against a team like Sevilla, especially that has the European pedigree that they do. Granted, if it's Europa League or not, us Chelsea fans, we appreciate they the Europa League. They forced Bayern to 120 minutes. Bayern exactly last season, so they're a damn good between, team. Between between Saturday's match and this match, yes, the personnel changes did include the addition of Mendy and Thiago, which are improvements. But I don't think those two missing should have mean we concede three and I think that's the gap that Lampard really needs to push because even in the in the media and these are our players saying this unwarranted Aspie before the game talked about how we can't concede three goals or that means we're gonna have to score at least four a week uh Ben Chilwell made the same comment saying luckily this time we got a clean sheet and that's something to build off of I believe Kai and Werner both said something along the lines of we can't score three goals and not win a game. Lamps Lamps talked about the clean sheet after the game today too. He said that was so, a big positive for him. Yeah. Well. So the point is, we know the defense is the issue. Now it's it's more about Frank maybe being a little bit less naive without being too extreme and always going back to a back three when needed. Because yeah. again, we can switch up from being an all-out pressing team to to just absorbing some pressure. I don't think. That's the craziest idea. And with the offensive weapons we have now, counterattacking should be more than just second nature. 
for these yeah, guys. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like Timo Werner played for a Leipzig side that played with a back three. Granted, it's probably the most complicated back three system in Europe. <laughs> um, but it's a back three nonetheless. And, and, and Werner's pretty much built for the counterattacking style. I mean, his bread and butter is a long ball over the top. You know, just yeah. something to run on to. So I can, I, I'm totally open to that. Um, I mean, you guys know me, though, and especially if you've been a listener of the show for a while, um, you know that I'm a fan of the back three. I just am. It's just solid defensively. Um, but anyways, I do want to move on a little bit. Yeah, let's go um, to M. Conan's question. Yeah, so M. Conan um, asked a pretty good question, an interesting one. I This didn't really cross my mind, but he said, Conte looked absolutely terrible out there today against Southampton. Time to tell time to sell him in January. The team looked poorly coached out there and made some mistakes. Are are the excuses running out for Frank? I think he needs to change up his assistance and get more experience in there. I'm gonna chime in on this first, Andres. Go for um, it. I think this is a little extreme. Um, I think it's really easy to pick apart Conte um, when Jorginho is doing next to nothing defensively next to him. And, and 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 to be fair to the untrained eye, if you're you know watching a football match, especially this one, you would look and see that Conte is probably closest to the ball in every situation where Southampton won it back, um, or beat us, you know, by by breaking through the lines. Um, that's because Jorginho's not there, <laughs> and Conte has to cover for him. I don't think he had a bad game. I think he struggled. I think there was a lot of ground for him to cover, and he just had too much on his plate. Um, but yes, I mean, in, in terms of they looked poorly coached out there and made some mistakes, we definitely did. Um, it's not just a matter of it being individual mistakes, Andres, and I think this is what we're what we're trying to say, at least subconsciously. I think it's we just need to solidify things before we start establishing a culture of conceding goals. It's already been a year and a half. Chelsea have been known historically to be a defensive side. We've always had strong defenses even when our attacks sucked we always had great defenders um and now it seems to be the opposite where we have these wonderful attackers five or six guys that could be you know potentially world beaters and then you look at the defensive side of things and you look at ben chilwell and reese james and there's really not much beyond them in terms of you know the next five or six years right so i don't know I'm not I'm not ready to start pointing fingers at, you know, Ingolo Conte and say that's the problem because uh, the problems are clearly in our back line. Not saying the midfield is not at fault, but Conte, I don't know. So so my thing here is for one, I think defensively speaking, again, if Frank is picking Jorginho and Conte to play next to each other, don't make them both press high. Like <laughs> Have them sit back. There's no point in having them run up and create a space behind them. Again, I mentioned it earlier with the 4-4-2 lines that Frank is coaching them to do. I think this is actually a question about Conte on the ball because I thought he was not good on the ball. And again, we're going to talk about our attack specifically, but Conte completed barely 75% of his passing. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's, I think, where the issue M. Conan is, is alluding to comes from is that Maybe in the attacking the, sense, yeah. the bad passing, the poor decisions on the ball, losing more duels than winning them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what he's talking about. And yeah, 
we'll get into the offense a little bit, and Conan. So bear with us there. We'll, I don't we'll think. I don't think. Um, I don't think he's getting much help out there. To be completely honest. We'll we'll get to it. We'll talk yeah. offense in a bit. Um, but anyways, um, Ron asked a question. I think we kind of touched upon it, but he asked, is this on the individual errors? No confidence in Kepa by his teammates. Playing people out of position, Mason Mount. The dreaded mentality excuse or Frank making bad decisions. You know, I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of the questions, right? I mean, they're all so similar. And I include, I, I didn't include a lot of them because it's the same question. Like yeah. th- this is this is something that's very obvious to Chelsea fans. Sujin, uh, great friend of the pod, huge wait, shout wait, out I, to I Sujin. do want to say one thing real quick. Oh, so, okay. uh, regarding the individual mistakes, so yeah. we've conceded nine goals this season, and Sam actually found this stat. Individual mistakes leading to goals is a stat that the Premier League actually tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, Russell Saunders, if you're still listening, you're gonna love this one. Kepa is responsible for three. He is leading the league with, I believe, less starts than any other goalkeeper. He's got three to his name, which is a third of our goals conceded. So just wanting to throw that out there, individual errors plus no confidence by Kepa and his teammates, those go hand in hand. So that's part of it. In this game, there's a little bit of everything. Uh, So, yeah, we can move on to to Sujin's question. Damn, I can't believe you cut me off in the middle of a shout-out to Sujin. She's not going to be happy about that, dude. Sorry about that. Um, But huge shout-out to Sujin. Um, She asked, why is Tamori not the answer? Sorry for yelling. Um, This is probably the most interesting question we got, um, in my opinion. Something's up there. You know, there's a reason why he's not getting playing time. But my question is, Andres, why do we keep playing, giving chances to guys like Christensen? I've had those opportunities. You know, uh, our, it's again, it's in the paper, man. Like we we saw it work last season with the mm-hmm. less experienced squad. It was and the most solid we looked all season Tamori, when Zuma and Tamori were at the back together. Zuma and Tamori beat Ajax 1-0 in a very yeah. defensive game. Ajax. 1-0 in Champions League with a crowd and and, and I'm pretty and it was in Amsterdam, by the yeah, way. It was. So that is huge. The man is a freak athlete. So is he prone to mistakes? Yes. Can he correct his mistakes literally just by running back and catching up? Yes. Like I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't see how Christensen is still ahead of him in the pecking order. I don't know what sort of clauses are in this man's contract. Like, I don't understand. I get that John Terry once said that Christensen was going to be his heir apparent, but my God, he's not. He's not. You said it earlier. Christensen is a back three. Back three? Starts. Phenomenal. Four? Don't. Just don't. It doesn't make any sense. Tamori, again— Freak athlete. Zuma is going to be learning from Tiago. Maybe you play him next to Tiago for a bit before you play him next to Zuma. But the point is the man can play. And he's going to be simple about things. He's going to, not going to try to dribble at the back. He's not going to try a pass that he can't make. I mean, he does have a mistake in him. But at the same time... So does fucking, everyone else in he? our... He's 21? But so yeah. does Christensen. And Christensen keeps yeah. getting the pass time and time again. 
Well, yeah, man. And Tamori's scrappier. So if you're talking about size and whatnot, at least Tamori's going to fight the big boys. It just begs the question, though. Is he good enough? Is he actually good enough to get into the side? Tamori. Why else is he not playing? That's I the mean, only logical answer I could come up with is that yes, right right now, at this point in time, October the 20th, 2020, Mikhail Tomori is not good enough to play for Chelsea at the moment. Okay. I would agree with that if I wasn't now in the camp where Lampard's meritocracy is complete bullshit. I'm sorry. That's the one thing I will not agree ever with because time and time again, actually, we can talk about – actually, it's not related to Black Emoji's question, but – Time and time again, we see these quote-unquote favorites get chosen over the guys in form. Well, Tamori's not even in form, though. We ha- I mean, but, but Christians, it definitely isn't. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So, I mean, it, it does kind of tie into um, Black Emoji's question. It is, okay. Black Emoji asks, if individual errors cost us so much, why are those individuals still playing? And Andres, I think this is – the question that kind of highlights the point I was making earlier. If Frank is so adamant on playing certain players when other players aren't available, if those guys who are going to step in have any sort of deficiency, the squad has to be built around those guys so the other team can't expose us. And we're just not doing that. Yeah. Uh, and, right. and look, and look, I mean, okay, we are picking on Christensen in terms of being a weak link within a squad. In this game, he wasn't particularly a weak link i mean zuma was an individual mistake kai havertz lost the ball you know it, yeah the, the havertz goal there's something his mistake mistake leads to to the to the split pass to you know it's uh, funny things, but those two center backs should never be that far apart especially it's, if we just came off of a defensive shape just saying it i know i know but but it's it's sort of ridiculous to me how people will sort of pick apart who's at fault for the Kai Havertz goal. And I say the Kai Havertz goal because he was at fault. You do not give the ball away in front of your own goal. Period. Yeah. If you played the game at any in sort the of respectable of the level. In the middle of the field. If you played the game at any sort of respectable level, you know not to do that. Because what happens? It exposes your whole back line. One pass can delete your midfield, and your defense. That's what happened with us. Okay, yeah. fair enough. The, the the center backs were a little far apart. There could have been better communication there. You know, where was Jorginho or Conte? I've seen that, you know, excuse get thrown around a couple of times. I don't fucking buy into any of that bullshit. You give yeah. the ball away there at the top level, especially when knowing that you have a center forward as clever as Danny Ings playing for the other side. He makes his living off of those type of goals. Exactly. Exactly. That's how he gets all of his goals. They're all off of these five or six yard short burst diagonal runs where he just kind of peels in between two defenders, gets the ball, tucks it in a corner. It's vintage that, that Danny is, Ings. Let's talk about talking about system. That is what Southampton does. They press you until you make a mistake, and then all they want to do is maybe connect one or two passes to get the goal. And yeah. they did it. They did it. Um, I, I do want to touch base on the individual errors thing. I think Kepa's not playing anymore, period. Like, I really don't see him playing anymore. And the craziest thing happened today, Peter Cech was added to our 25-man roster. Mm -hmm. And you better believe that the quote they said or whatever is a COVID precaution, that's complete and utter bullcrap. 
That is if Mendy gets hurt and Caballero gets hurt, Peter we Cech. might play C. Peter. We might see Peter Check dawn and Chelsea kit once again. <laughs> I'm not even, dude. I am being dead serious. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I don't think it's gonna get to that point, but if it does, dude, we've seen wild things that this would year. Be fan- that would be that but would be I, crazy. Just yeah. to just to throw a dig at our rivals, who would have thought in mighty 2020? Peter Cech would make a 25-man Premier League squad, and players like Mesut Ozil and Romero for United couldn't make their own team's 25-man squad. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. Crazy. Um, Kojo, I'm gonna kind of round this off with something from Kojo, and I'm actually gonna start the next segment off with something from Kojo as well. Um, but I think he hit the nail right on the head. A world-class center back wouldn't solve our defensive woes if we don't seem to manage the game when we're leading. It's tactics. I've seen the light. We, we talked about it. It's, yeah. We have yep. naive defensive tactics. Yep. Simple as that. It, so, it, in a 4-2-3-1, you don't ask to t- turn a defensive shape into an uber offensive and high line when that's the complete opposite of what you're showing on paper. It, it hold, makes hold, no sense. Hold on, Andres. I'm going to cut you off quick because I do want to transition to offense. And I think you were about to answer our first question for that. Um, so I know I promised another Kojo tweet. What is Frank Lampard's tactics? Or what well, are Frank Lampard's tactics? Excuse me for my grammar. He, if we rewind to Project Restart, they were clear as day. We played... A 4-3-3 with Conte at the base of midfield. We had three midfielders who all had energy and a workhorse mentality. We had high and wide wingers. And we were playing one Olivier Giroud as a target man for these wingers and even the attacking eights to make runs off of him. Defensively, the three midfielders were absolute pressing machines alongside the wingers while... Giroud kind of stayed in front of the two center backs to prevent just a pass up the middle. Our fullbacks were flanking, attacking eights for crosses, and our two wingers were coming inside to combine with Olivier Giroud. Fast forward to this new 2020-2021 season. I have zero fucking clue. Yep. Does that does does that suffice? It kind of round it, it kind of rounds it off, Andres, because. Against Southampton, that front four was delicious. The way they were moving off the ball and the interchange of positions. I mean, I don't know how many times I went into my phone and started typing in a note, so-and-so switch positions. And then I'd look back up and it'd be switching back. I mean, the rotations, everything was on point. We looked irresistible. But then you go to the Sevilla match, and it's a complete far cry from what we did in the first half against Southampton. What are we trying to do in the attacking sense? Because it seems like a lot of our players are kind of caught in the middle here. And and I'm going to use Hakeem Ziyech as a as an example. He got a lot of criticism against Southampton because he did he came on, he made his debut, and he wasn't very good. He gave the ball away a couple times. He looked rusty, and fair enough. I'm not judging him. Twitter is. Um, but he came on again against Sevilla. And he still looked like he didn't really know what types of passes to make or where the runs were going to be. 
and 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 I and that could be chalked down a little bit to player familiarity, right? Playing with mm-hmm. new guys, but it's also chalked down to does he actually know what he's doing out there? Is he being instructed as to whether to play short and fast, whether to play long, whether to play possession, keep the ball? Are we just going to cycle it and filter it through all of our players and just kind of sit on a result? Are we going? I couldn't tell. Yeah. And you can't really tell with any of the substitutes. I mean, granted today, uh, you know, Tammy and, and, and Cho came on super late. But, Literally in the 90th. But, but but yeah, hardly any time to make any sort of impact. And, and, and that's not a good tactic whatsoever. We'll get to that. But the point is we can't tell what the hell they're, they're supposed to yeah. be doing. Look, and that's a problem I'll for jump, me. I'll start with – with some, I have to talk about Mason Mount first off to make this point. Yeah. So, for some reason, we have always seen Frank Lampard force Mason Mount into the starting eleven. To Mason Mount's, uh, what's it? To his credit, he played a fantastic international break in the middle of the pitch. In the middle of the pitch. I'm going to say it one third time so that nobody misses it in the middle of the pitch. Mason Mount is a center midfielder. Did you did you hear that, Zach? I think I, I think I heard okay. Mason Mount is a left winger. <laughs> so yes, so that's point number one. We are putting a center midfielder at the wing. I mentioned earlier a actually let me finish this thought and then I'm going to go on a rant because it's 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 going to get to a point. You then have Kai Havertz in the middle, who Kai Havertz is the one player on the pitch that has a free role when it comes to the offense. And then you put Pulisic on the right side, even though you saw the beauty and and the the prowess that he has when he plays on the left all of He needs to be cutting inside. And then you have Timo Werner up top, who is a headache to forwards when he makes runs in behind. But here's the thing. You have Kai Havertz, who is left-footed, so he tends to drift to the right side so he can cut to his left foot, taking up the same space as a Christian Pulisic who is trying to head towards the middle because he is an inside forward more so than a winger now at Chelsea. So these two players are covering the same space. Add to that that a certain Mason Mount also drifts to the middle. And guess what? Zero with there's no race james to join the attack either which was very noticeable today like like we would go through spells where reese would be getting the ball and playing crosses in and you're like great he's finding his positions and then there were other times where like you said andres you got havertz and pulisic in front of on top of each other they're on top of each other taking each other's space taking each other's runs so mm-hmm. that's that's issue number one. When you see that, and, and I'm coaching this with my 10-year-olds, what is the point of two people going to the same space? You're letting one defender cover two players. Two yeah. world-class attacking players should not be in the same exact space. You're making their life too easy. I tell my kids that too. How many people does it take to steal the ball? Just one. Just one. All you, you need put, is one. So you you're just making have to do their it the right life way. easy. So yeah. You're making their life easy. So yep. why force Mason Mount to do this? That's my first question. Mm-hmm. And, and and by people's tendencies, you have this issue, right? So yeah. here's my solution, which, you, you know, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop arguing You're just full of solutions today, aren't you? Listen, man, 
I mean, we saw it. West Bromwich Albion. Just remember that game from earlier this season. We're down 3-0 at halftime. We're playing a 4-2-3-1 in this very same situation where we have Mason Mount at the wing when he shouldn't be. In this case, we had Cho instead of Mount, I believe. Mm-hmm. And here's how the changes went. Let's play a 4-3-3 with attacking eights. And what happened? Mount combined with the winger and scored. And he looked fantastic. And we were clicking. Because what happens then? Mount is taking a left central space because he's right-footed and wants to go to his right foot. Kai is taking a right central space because he's left-footed and rather cut into his left foot. Your wingers are staying high and wide. Cho wants to beat players down the line. And Timo is just trying to get in behind because Timo was playing striker at this point. Mm-hmm. So he's staying wide to beat people in just space. And then you have Tammy in the middle trying to combine with all these guys. Everyone is in different space, completing different roles where they all succeed. Okay, so what was working against Southampton that wasn't working here? You want to hear my true opinion on this? Individual talent. Mm. On paper, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic – are supposed to put three goals past Southampton. And I think, and actually, I don't think it's been said by Frank Lampard. Last season against Wolves, specifically after the match, Tomori was asked about Lampard's tactics. And he says that, okay, there's there's certain structure, but he wants players to go out and let their creativity do the work. Okay. Is, is, there, is there anything if, else, Gaffer? If anything? That- if that no 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 if if that really is what we're trying to go for as a side then the only focus should be on defense. I mean Play if we're just if we're just going to be football. listen listen if that's if that's the strategy if that is you know any manager's idea of of the way football should be played then then I'm sorry you're you're going to turn into PSG where you're going to have all these amazing attackers one really good defender and a bunch of mediocre guys, and you're going to concede a bunch of goals. And then you lose to Man United when you should have beat them. Exactly, exactly. Look, for me, I've been hearing a lot of the Chilwell logic about, oh, Mason Mount plays on the left um, because Pulisic's coming back from an injury and Mount will be able to chase wingers up and down. And, and if he tucks inside, Chilwell can overlap and open up the space for him. No, Pulisic likes to cut inside just as much as Mason Mount does. And to be, and, and to be fair, I think Chilwell's fucking awesome when he makes those, um, when he makes those diagonal runs into the box, not the overlapping runs, but the underlap. I think he's great at those too. So my issue is you got Pulisic and Chilwell on one side. You can you can essentially dominate any mid table side in the in the Premier League with just that left with just the left hand side. Now, by putting Mason Mount on one of the flanks, you're benching one of Cho or Ziek. And I've been talking about this, I've been preaching this since Frank decided to play Cho. When we play with natural wingers, we are a different team. A completely different team. I'm not begging for Cho to get the start, but what about Ziek? What are these guys doing there? They, uh, I mean, granted. Let me, let me add Ziyech to the four-three-three equation then. Yeah. Let, let me let me add that to to my. Ziyech tucks again. in. Ziyech tucks in off the right, and you could have possibly Mount or Havertz overlap him 
when he talks Wow. I didn't even have to say anything. Ziyech is not a speedy guy. Have him come short, and then he picks a pass apart. Havertz is quick. Werner is quick. So if Werner goes wide, Havertz takes his space. We saw it happen against Southampton. Havertz Mm -hmm. scored an easy goal. We've seen Mount make runs up the middle millions of times now for Chelsea. We've seen Pulisic make back post runs and score headers, volleys, however you want, which if you look up any highlight reel from Ziyech, he is a master at those balls. Get the ball to his feet as he checks in and somebody goes into his space. You want fluid open football, you still need to give these players at least some instruction to let them know, hey, if we do this a couple times in practice, we'll see it happen in the games. You can't just be like, hey, go play street ball and hope something happens because then there's no communication, there's no expectation. And without a preseason, you're asking a lot. You're asking a lot of these guys. It is a lot, and that's something that needs to be said. It's it's something that needs to be said is it's not only an issue with Chelsea. And and, and Kirill's uh, Medvedev talked about this in the beginning of our show. Man United, Spurs, and Liverpool has conceded more goals than us. These are all teams that have conceded just as many goals as we have. It is virtually impossible to go into a new season with no preseason and, and, and hit the ground running and for it to be completely seamless. Is that not true? I, I feel like people are people seem to forget that Yeah. in all of this. And, and, and a big thing that needs to be said is, oh, well, okay, well, we're already, what, seven or eight games into the season? They should be up and running. No. If you start the season off poorly, it is really hard to shake that. You got to put together two or three good matches before your confidence is actually back. It's not a matter of oh you were in form all season and then you know you had a game or two dip in around the holidays and then you you know you got your goal and now you're back. No, this isn't some mid-season form dip. If you start the season with a dip in form, it's going to carry on for multiple matches until you could put together a string of games where you get legit momentum to to overturn that. I'm look I'm not even talking about Mason Mount anymore, but I'm just kind of venting here. But my whole point in all of this, Andres, is I still, if we're going to be going 4-2-3-1, I would still like to see Mason Mount be the guy next to Conte. If we're not going to go 4-3-3 with attacking eights, which I think is the way forward, I think we could all agree on that, but it seems like we're pretty dead set on this 4-2-3-1. Why not put his work rate next to Conte and just have an absolute machine in front of that back four working for them. That is, to me, in my mind, that's the only real way we can solidify things without putting Reese James next to Conte to, yeah. to, to sort of protect our weak center backs. And and again, sorry to go back to the 4-3-3. So if, if I'm talking about Lampard's 4-4-2 press, so talking about how offense can make defense look good. If we run the 4-3-3, and instead of Havertz joining Werner in the front two, and we do what Ali Giroud did, is just force the defense to play side to side first. Mm-hmm. You do that with just Werner. Then you have a line of four that includes Pulisic, Kai, Mount, and Ziyech or Cho. Then Conte, give him a free roll between the two lines of four and play cleanup. Don't That's make it. him press. Let, let him play cleanup. So that if they try to find that gap, guess who's there? 
freaking Conte, who is not going to let you go, get past him if he's in the right area. If you're putting, and if, then if you put, your back four is there. If you put Conte in a position where all he has to do is anticipate and intercept, he will get the ball every single time. That's what Antonio Conte did with him. He simplified his instruction instead of complicating it. Exactly. And I think that's something you have to do with a player like Conte, who doesn't necessarily have this, you know, um, I don't want to – look, it's going to sound harsh, but I don't mean it too. But he doesn't have a well-rounded game in general. He's not one of those players that can do it all. He mainly just does defense. So if you simplify his role and ask him to only do that, maybe this will solve M. Conan's problem that he has with Conte. Maybe this will allow him to be more solid and will make him feel more comfortable. He, that's his comfort zone. When we played that 3-4-3 with Conte, all him and Matic had to do was sit and anticipate what's in front of them. If the game is yeah. in front of N'Golo Conte, no one's getting past him. It, that's simple. Right. And when we talk about him being the best defensive midfielder in the world, when he's in those positions, it's hard to look at anyone else and say, yeah, he's as good as Conte. Yeah. And, and again, we talk about him not looking comfortable offensively. Give him two options to pass to, not just Jorginho, who is easy to defend. Yeah. Give him Kai and Mount. If Jorginho is it within five or ten yards, Conte is not finding a pass because the angle's not there. Jorginho is or, not good at creating those angles. Or a bad pass to a guy that can't move, Kai mm. and Mount can make up for it. And they're Listen, scrappy. They lose it, they'll fight for it again. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to say Jorginho is bad at making those angles. What I meant to say is he's not mobile enough to. So if Conte gets the ball, picks his head up, by the time he looks around, Jorginho has to be moving to that position. He's not there yet. Now Conte has to take a touch. Now the defense closes on him. Now he has to take another touch to to avoid getting tackled. Now he's making, you know, a, 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 a toe poke pass instead of a comfortable pass that should have been done a second or, and a half, two or seconds Or just ago. a pass backward and we hit the reset button. Lamps always talks about this, and he always talks about the speed of play. He wants the ball to be moving, right? The 4-2-3-1 kind of hinders that in a sense. I mean, you do have triangles all over the pitch, but you don't have as much freedom or as many options as a 4-3-3 where you can – the 4-3-3 is the universal football. It's total football. I mean, that, that's the only way I can really describe it. There's countless passing options, and there's countless and, – and that's a th another thing too. There's countless ways to deploy that formation. It doesn't always look the same. It's fluid. It's exactly. fluid. If if Mount pushes forward, Kai sits back. It vice versa. We're, I I think people are we think trying? That, okay, okay. I'm gonna cut you off there because I yeah. do want to talk about Kai. Are we? Are is Lamps trying to accommodate Kai by playing the four two three one just so he can sort of say, look, on paper you're exclusively a number ten. I so you you asked a question because this was on you. You wanted to ask what do we need to do to elevate his performances. Uh -huh. You remember how – so rewind to when Sari first came here and people didn't know what to do with Jorginho. And Jorginho had all the time and space in the world. Mm -hmm. And he was in the in our half commanding passes. I think Frank is thinking he's doing the same thing for Havertz by playing him at the 10. But someone eventually is going to be like, oh, well, I just need to play a shadow there. And some have him follow, be followed – all day. I mean, he, he isn't the he isn't the strongest player ever. Like like he does look a little light. He winds up on his ass a lot. So maybe man marking him out of a game 
would be a quick fix for a lot of teams. I think Maybe. that's something – look, I think that's something Solskjaer might be looking at this weekend. <laughs> Maybe. So Who my knows? Thing is, he might stick like a McTominay on him, and he, all of a sudden had, he's canceled. He had the mistake, but also he is so good at finding spaces and getting himself open. His last goal – or the last goal of the match was fantastic. and oh, yeah. And when he has the time and space – Good luck stopping him, whether he's yeah. running at you or find, he'll find a pass. As yeah. a 10, he has it all. My thing is, we can use those traits in a three because, again, teams don't know which player is going to do that to you. Mm-hmm. Mason Mount isn't quite creative, but if people are going to drift to Kai's side and then Kai just needs to slip a pass to Mason Mount in, boom, he's in an attacking space and he can take shots from distance. Hopefully by now he can find Timo Werner or one of the wingers. We talk about this fluidity, and, and right now I think the 4-2-3-1 is again, against teams like Sevilla, against teams like potentially United this weekend, they're going to be prepping for him. Mm-hmm. And and again, Lampard is saying, oh, do your thing. And it's the formation and perhaps the way the personnel are set up is is rigid, even in a weird way when Lampard's telling him to do whatever you want. Because the ball gets to Havertz, and then we wait. Mm-hmm. And I think giving him a try at an attacking aid is not the worst situation. And again, 45 minutes against West Brom, which Albion cost three goals on our side when he was playing as an eight. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see, I don't get why that experiment, which again, it's not really an experiment when it worked so well to get us top four at Project Restart, has been just dropped so quick. Because we haven't found a solution at double pivot or at least yep. something that gives us 90 minutes. It was 45 yep. against Southampton that scored all the goals. And then one at the very end because Pulisic, Werner, and Kai as a trio are that good. Like we need at least to place the players where they're all going to succeed. Not just maximum oh, output as a team. Not yeah. just – for the player, because I think I think Kai is better served as a ten. If if you want to talk about just straight output, he's probably going to give you the most in terms of goals and assists playing at the number ten. But and then again, a double pivot that works. But exactly, that's the thing. Find somebody to put next to Conte that can also do the hard yards. Mason Mount is the only guy I can think of. And in our and, current and squad, I think that's the thing that kind of irks me is that. We st- I still haven't seen the Chelsea 11 that, in my opinion, I think would be the strongest. Yeah. Because I, re- I really do think putting Mason Mount as an eight, I mean, yes, there's going to be some growing pains. But ultimately, I think that's that's his most na- would be his most natural position. Maybe not necessarily a double pivot, but somebody that does play a box-to-box role, that does do the hard yards, that will protect the back line but also commit to attacking forward, which would be ideal. It would be completely ideal. And also the difference between putting Mount there as opposed to someone like Jorginho um, would be the mobility. Now you have a guy who can go and join the attack, and if we lose the ball, can get back. Jorginho, if he gets beat, he's done. Yeah. So, But anyways, look, we're diving – really deep into the Havertz thing. I want to move on. Um, I want to talk about Timo a bit. Uh, Chelsea Eric asks, has Timo, has Turbo Timo arrived? Um, keep in mind, this question was asked after the Southampton game. 
I mean, he had chances today too. He just didn't mm-hmm. finish them. Look, um, I I think today's a completely different game if Timo's, you know, if if if, if Timo's in any sort of form. If Timo scores once early, which which all his chances were earlier than later, it's it's a different match, obviously. But he he's still putting himself in the in good situations. He scored uh, the first two, which were both gorgeous against Southampton. I think he's here. I think Lampard is done playing him out wide. It just didn't work as well as he might have thought early on when he had to play him out because at that point we literally had no wingers. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's here. I think today was kind of unlucky. I think players have those days. I hope that it doesn't get to his head because, again, he was creating chances. And when you're creating good chances, all it takes is banging one in and, and you'll be consistently banging them moving forward. Yeah. Well, let's let's hope that we all uh, consistently bang uh, moving <laughs> forward. Um, no, but but in terms of – see, the show could be kind of funny without some. Um, in, in terms of Timo, um, yeah, you know, I was a big uh, advocate for, yeah, maybe we can have Tammy up there and, and, and he could play really well off Tammy. No, I, it, Timo needs to be our number nine. Um, he just gives you something completely different. And what I love about him is that he, he gives you a little bit of everything. Um, not so much against Sevilla. The hold-up play was non-existent because his first touch let him down for most of the match. But um, against Southampton, we saw him sort of dropping in between the lines, playing short passes, looking for the ball over the top, which is really effective. And that nutmeg, Andres, the dummy Oof. that led to the nutmeg on Bednarik. Oh, my God, <laughs> that was disgusting. What? That so was the good. filthiest goal since what? Because the, the only goal that came to my mind was Pulisic against City. It wasn't sick, but it was just like super important and well taken. Yeah, I his second goal was just a sick, if you ask me. Chips the May, keeper and then maybe, finishes it himself. I don't think we talk about Reese James's screamer against Brighton enough. Uh, that's a rocket, yeah. I I do want to say, I mean, Werner up the middle versus Werner in the wings, right? It's two mm-hmm. different players, and this is why we signed him, is to be a nightmare down the middle of the pitch. And again, in the third goal, he dropped very deep, combined with Pulisic twice before finding Havertz for the easy tap-in. Mm-hmm. So he's not just a poacher. He He wants to combine. Like you exactly. said, today his first touch gave him a bit of trouble. But um, before we kind of get into the United and uh, the United preview, I don't want this to be just so negative and tactical. I do want to give a shout out to potentially the signing that's done the best so far in Ben Chilwell, dude. Dude. Like, if there's something consistent about both these games is how good Chilwell was in both, even with three goals conceded against Southampton. I, I believe he was man of the match, if I'm not mistaken. He just looks like someone that's been at the club playing in that position for years and years and years and years and years. He looks as, he looks as comfortable at left back as Aspie does at right back. Is that fair? <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I mean, mean, the look, guy... The guy not, like the, I mean, I'm not comparing him or putting him on Aspie's level yet, but I, I'm just saying. He looks... You could tell why we paid fifty million for right, and and this I think 
when we talk about tactically, like Lampard tactically and whether he's he's smart about it or not, he's got it spot on with Ben Chilwell. Chilwell yeah. is doing everything that's asked of him uh, positionally, defensively, and offensively. I've he's yet to put a foot wrong. He he wins the headers in the back. He today I believe he was in a two v one, and he still won that by being defensively sound. He's already got what two or three assists. Mm-hmm. If I'm not there are two assists and one goal. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the guy the guy's doing well for himself. He, I mean, he has the attacking ability of Alonso and the defensive ability of an actual left back. It's crazy to think, right? Wow, we haven't had that in a while. Yeah. But but yeah, it, he's been incredible, incredible, and and uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited that in two Premier League matches, he's got two assists and one goal. Like, what what else can you ask? Like two starts. Sorry, what else can you ask from from Chilwell at this point? Really, nothing. I think yeah. I think you're getting exactly what you're paying for. And again, I think I'm starting to see the rationale in the transfer fee um, the more I'm seeing him play because the guy's only 23 and he's putting in these kind of performances. It only makes you think what kind of player he's going to be at 28 or 29 where fullbacks seem to peak. Um, but anyways... Uh, I do want to have a quick shout-out also, Andres, if you don't mind, to uh, Eduardo Mendoza, our, uh, our new goalkeeper, yeah. Edward Mendy. Um, he had a couple saves to make today. Again, none of them were too crazy or too vital, I guess you could say. Um, but 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 what do we make of him so far? I mean, I, I think the obvious one is that clearly the defense looks – Way better. more controlled, yeah. I maybe, uh, maybe not necessarily from because of him, but maybe his just his presence, <laughs> just the I fact that say, Kepa's not there. I'll make a, a very obvious statement that we got to see. He's got massive hands, and that save where he's on his knees and he kind of scoops the ball off the header today was unbelievable. That he was basically he basically palmed the ball and pushed it a solid 15 yards with just a reaction. Yeah, you know that was nuts. He he has, I mean he's he's very um, technically sound as a goalkeeper. Strong hands, strong hands um, in in terms of point blank shots. Like his wrists don't bend whatsoever. Nothing falls out of his grips. When he catches a ball, he catches a ball. When he goes up on um, on crosses, especially when he's attacking crosses, what I notice is that he never has that moment of hesitation that we see with like Keppa, for example, where mm-hmm. he takes one step and then thinks, shit, do I stay or do I go? Do I flap at it or do I punch it? No. Edward Mendy goes in there and he's pretty no-nonsense. And it might not be the prettiest to look at at times because, yeah, he's not catching the ball and throwing it to an open player every single time. But he's making the saves that he needs to make. <laughs> that's all we need our goalkeeper to do this season. You just make the fucking saves that you need to make, and that's about it. Um, huge shout-out to Nacho Fuentes also. Shout-out to Venezuela. Um, I know we didn't include any of his questions this week because we pretty much talked about most of them, but um, I don't want him to feel left out. 
But uh, Andres, we do have Old Trafford, uh, a trip to Old Trafford coming up on this uh, this Saturday against Man United. Um, so really quick, I'm just going to kind of go over the current form of Man U, and then we could kind of dive into what our predictions are. Right now, they're currently sitting 15th in the table with a game in hand. Um, and they're actually, um, what are they, tied for second in terms of goals conceded. Um, they've conceded 12 goals so far and only scored nine. So defensively, they've had their issues. They um, have, yeah, Liverpool is actually the worst team worst. conceding goals. They're tied with Fulham, who's in 20th. Yeah, right and now. Liverpool's only going to get worse and worse. But some, so just some interesting stats that I found. You're going to be proud of me for these. Um, Chelsea have scored at least three goals in their last three away matches. And we have also conceded at least two goals in five <laughs> of our last six away matches. So so what you're telling me is that we're going to win three to two? What I'm telling you is that the glass is half full, but it's also half empty. <laughs> <laughs> that is insane <laughs> yeah Whoa, right mind blown yeah so um in terms of man united's form um going into the game in their last five um they have two wins a loss and then two wins so two wins on the spin obviously um their biggest win coming today earlier in the champions league where uh i think it was like what like the 87th or 88th minute rashford um Yep. Rashford got the winner. Um, but Andres, I mean, what do you, what are some things you see for Man U that could potentially be warning signs? Or if you want, you could even dive into some things uh, for Man U that we see as a potential weakness to attack. Well, first off, I want to say that I, I look at Man U and it's almost like looking at Chelsea in the mirror. They can be solid defensively one game. They can be solid offensively one game but you can't see maybe it's hard for them to do both the loss against Tottenham was a 5-1 thrashing they they were never in that match oh and and, and, and Mourinho 6-1 and Mourinho tapped right. uh Mourinho tapped Solskjaer that was a fucking highlight oh man <laughs> but they did get a red card against Martial there so mm-hmm. maybe it's there but i mean their back line they're they're high Jekyll and Hyde. You can either have Lindelof and Maguire play great, or they're going to be awful. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something Timo Werner can look to expose. Mm-hmm. I think De Gea also has not looked very well. So if we are creating chances for shots, they will go in at some point because again, De Gea doesn't look very solid. He had a awful international break. I think before the international break, or no, it was this weekend against Newcastle. Yes, they won the match 4-1, to one, but the goal he conceded was a weird one where he kind of got caught flat-footed off of a deflection. I, I don't know. It, it, it seemed off. Mm. So those are the two things I would look for us to capitalize on. But then on the opposite side, Alex Tellis played today at left back. He looked really good. His crossing and the set pieces were as good as we expected. We talked a lot about him in the preseason. Uh, so he might get a, a, the nod for the weekend. And, and Rashford's on fire. He's been playing really good alongside Bruno Fernandes, who I hate to praise because he's now scoring and creating shots outside of 
penalty kick opportunities. So, yes, he scored his goal today on a PK, but his shooting from distance was important against Newcastle. And Who again, is this Messi? I'm sorry, I was like, I was paying, I wasn't paying attention. Bruno Fernandez, the the guy that looks like uh, he looks a little bit like you Donkey mean, from Shrek. The one that looks exactly like Messi. <laughs> yeah, Lionel Messi. That plays guy. just like Messi and scores just as many goals as Messi. Uh, but in all honesty, their offense yeah. can click. But just like Chelsea, they have their defensive weaknesses. And if we play a, our strongest 11 with players in their natural positions, I have to add that as a caveat, mm-hmm. I think we can get a result at Old Trafford. I mean, Old Trafford without fans is a different place than Old Trafford with fans. So Look, regardless, the team's there for the taking. And that's place. That's the message that Lamps needs to go into the dressing room with. They did get that big result in the Champions League. But in the Premier League, they haven't proved shit yet under Solskjaer in general. I mean, yeah, Man U fans are so quick to mention the first game of last season, which I think is hilarious. And then like, you know, now the retort is like, well, what happened in the cup? Right. We absolutely battered you guys. But. I think I think here the key against Man U would be particularly their center backs and our back line in general. They don't have much pace outside of Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And even if Alex Telles is playing on the left-hand side, one, he likes to bomb forward, and he's two, not he's not the quickest. He is not an athletic center back in that – or an athletic uh, fullback in that sense. Um, so I think if Man U does play a high line – um, which they will if they're, you know, playing with possession. Um, there's going to be a lot of room for Timo Werner to run into. And the only thing that I'm kind of concerned about is we saw Pulisic play what? Did he play 90 minutes against Southampton or close to it? Um, I want to say he did. I can pull it up real quick. But anyways... We got Pulisic played 87. Two, 87. Okay, so he played 90 minutes against Southampton. And then he played 90 minutes again um, against um, Sevilla. So I don't know if Pulisic's going to be available. I, I mean, mean, we have plenty of time till Saturday. It's only Tuesday. I know, but he's, we just coming off, he's just coming off a hamstring injury. Well, worst case, you should put Cho at left wing and Ziyech at the right. And and that's what I'm saying, but but Lamps hasn't shown any sort of consistency in his selection to make us think Except that that's going to be Except for Mason Mount at left wing. I don't think I predicted any of our lineups correctly. Um, be- because again, none restart. of us think left wing Mason Mount makes any sense. Yet there he is every single time. Yeah. Um. So predictions, Andres. I mean, how do you feel about this one? Well, your numbers are so impressive that I think I might have to go Chelsea 3, United 2. Ooh. And spoilers, one of those goals for United will be a penalty. Wow. What a prediction. They never get those. Yeah, they never get penalties. Um, And if they do, they have Messi, who's just money at converting penalties. Um. But anyways, I mean, that does kind of bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, again, we're sorry Sam couldn't join us. He's, he's going to have to issue a statement, a public apology, <laughs> something along those lines. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we do have Man United at the weekend. We do play in the Champions League again um, next next week. So look out for our pod to be dropped after next week's Champions League match. And until then, keep the blue flag flying high.